Today's show is sponsored in part by InterOptic. Fortune 500 companies choose InterOptic optical transceivers to minimize the risk of network failures and maximize IT savings. InterOptic's transceivers are 100% guaranteed compatible with Cisco, Juniper, Extreme, Arista, and others, and available at a fraction of the cost. Work with the optics experts at InterOptic. Go to interoptic.com packet pushers to find out more. Single pair Ethernet. That, that's right. Ethernet over a single twisted pair rather than the four that you're used to or, or two if you got a little gray in your beard. Now, single pair Ethernet isn't fast in the way we network engineers would normally think of fast. Single pair Ethernet runs at 10 megabits per second. But in the use cases SPE was designed for, 10 megabits per second is very fast indeed. To tell us all about single-pair Ethernet is Peter Jones. Although Peter wears many hats in the networking industry, today he comes to the microphone as the president of the Ethernet Alliance. So Peter, it's been correction, it's, Mr. Banks. I'm actually the uh, chairman of the Ethernet Alliance. The is, chairman. Is the, is, the hat, the cha- is the hat I'm wearing at the minute. And I, chairman okay, sounds okay. much more important. <laughs> I like it. Or so. chairperson, I should really be. The chairperson of the Ethernet Alliance. We'll, we'll take that, man. That's good. So it's, it has been a while. So welcome back to Heavy Networking. Not your first rodeo here with us, but it's nice to have you back on the mic. And maybe that's the right place to start, Peter, is uh, tell us what the Ethernet Alliance is all about. So Ethan, thanks. Uh, you know, it's been a while, but thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure talking to you guys. Um, so Ethernet Alliance... So in the, in the standards world, there is what happens in standards groups, there's what happens in the industry, and sometimes you need something to connect them together. So, you know, 802.3, where we define Ethernet standards, has a particular set of rules about what you can and can't do there and which role you which role you wear. And it doesn't go outside things. So, for instance, it defines standards and it defines how they should work together, but it doesn't do any work to make sure they actually do. So mm-hmm. Ethernet Alliance does things like, Organized plug fests, right? Because we want to make sure that Ethernet works when it gets out to everyone. We do so some might, work. About, might the Ethernet Alliance work with the interoperability lab at uh, UNH? Uh, that's where most of our plug fests happen. Um, okay. They don't necessarily have to be there, but that's where traditionally we've been there. So yeah, we work we work with the UNHIOL guys very frequently. And so if you talked, for instance, to Bob Noseworthy, who is uh, who's one of his titles is Chief Sherpa, I believe. I think his actual email address is either Rain or Stimpy at UNHIOL. <laughs> so organizing plug fests and uh, creating interoperability um, events to make sure that the standards are implemented in a way that are interoperable between vendors is one of the rules at the Ethernet Alliance. What else do you because, do? Because the goal, I mean, the goal is to make sure that when it gets out to people, it just works. Right? That's, mm. a, that's a key part of the Ethernet value. So we do trade shows. So we do a bunch of interoperability interop demos at trade shows so that the plug fests are usually private. They're for us to figure out companies that work out and make sure stuff actually works. Then we'll do interop demos at trade shows, for instance, uh, OFC, to actually go and show it to people. So I don't, you know, we have a we have a link to our blog for the last OFC, but it was probably in the order of, you know, 10, 10 companies putting together. And it's one of the few places that customers can actually see stuff working together um, without putting it in their own labs. Hmm. Uh, some of the other things we do is we do education. So education comes in the way we do a bunch of webinars. Uh, we put out white papers. We put out you know overviews of technology. And the goal really is to bridge the gap between the standards world and the vendor world and the user world. Hmm. Okay. Now, one of the ways you're doing that, you've been recording with some of the people that were there at the beginning of Ethernet in your Voices of Ethernet program. So tell us who you've been recording with and where we can hear those conversations. First, I'm going to tell you why I'm doing it. Mm. Uh, are you familiar with a with a organization called StoryCorps? 
Mm-mm. No. So StoryCorps is a nonprofit, and their goal is to collect stories from ordinary Americans. So basically, the idea is you record a conversation with someone else, you send it in the archive in the libraries of Congress, and then they then they curate stuff out. Hmm. So the basic idea is to understand what happens in, in a to, in a society. You need to actually go and listen to people. So that was sort of the inspiration for this, and eventually it got down to how can I start telling the story of Ethernet from the start. And we decided that the way to do this was to basically have conversations with the people who were there. Now, we're starting with some of the the better known names because that's a good way to get attention. And the idea is basically, it's not an oral history like the Computer History Museum would do. It's more the conversation you might have in a bar. So Cisco Live were at recently and a whole lot of the value of those conferences, I mean, apart from what you learn technically is to get to sit down and talk to people Mm -hmm. as you and I have done a number of times. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if in that case, imagine if uh, Bob Metcalf, the inventor of Ethernet, happened to be there and you got to sit down and talk to him for an, half an hour or so, right? This would be sort of geek nirvana, I'm going to argue. Now, you don't need to know the stories of the people behind it, but you sort of want to. And I yeah, think I have, providing- and, and Bob, in fact, was one of your conversations on Voices of Ethernet, wasn't he? He was, in fact, the first conversation. Now, I think I've got better at doing it since then. But the idea is to give people context behind the technology. So some of the decisions that happen, like if you understand a bit of the why, then they make more sense to you. Like why do we have 82.3 and 82.1 and .11, et cetera? Mm. And if you want to go back to it, originally there was 802 and they had to split into three groups because they couldn't agree which, what, which one to do. So it was .3, .4, and .5. And so okay. we had one of the guys, I think it was Gary Robinson, explain how that process actually worked. I know there's a story out there about what happened to IP version five too, since we went from four to six. And I know there is a story. It's buried on uh, it's buried on a mailing list somewhere. Not that we need to get into that today, Peter. So if I want to listen to Voices of Ethernet, where do I just search it up in my podcatcher, or is it? Uh, I think it's on YouTube, uh, it's, isn't it? Um, so we it's mostly on YouTube. I think we also publish as a podcast. Um, I'd encourage the video because often we have some people doing show and tell. So you hit mm-hmm. head to the Ethernet Alliance site. You can put a link in the show notes to it. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, you can also grab it off YouTube and we'll give you those links as well. But before we move on from that one, mm-hmm. the other one I want to talk to was a guy called about a guy called Gordon Bell. Now, Gordon Bell was the VP of engineering at DEC when they went to design the VAX and they knew they needed Ethernet, it just didn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, amongst other things, Gordon Bell actually invented the UART, which if you're familiar with the technology, that's how people do serial ports. Who has also been honored, he's got, you know, von Neumann scholarship, he's got everything. And so that was really talking to one of the, you know, the giants of the industry. And so I'm sort of privileged I get to go do this. Hmm. But the goal is to give everyone else a sense of what these people are like. That's really neat. I used to work in a building that had at one time had been inhabited by DEC. And in some of the offices in the old conference rooms, there would be quotes in uh, the nicely done with uh, glass plaques with uh, black ink and beautiful fonts of uh, various folks at deck that had said memorable things. And I'm pretty sure Gordon Bell might've been quoted on uh, one of those plaques. Couldn't say for sure, but that, uh, that rings a bell. So what's sort of Certainly. interesting there is there's another guy we talked to called, I think it was Rich Seifert. So Rich used to work for Gordon and he described the problem being Gordon was always thinking. So at some stage, you had to keep Gordon out of the lab. Otherwise, he would tell the engineers to move on to the next thing because the first <laughs> thing was already solved. <laughs> so he had, he, had, he had to run interference. 
One of those sorts of minds. Well, Peter, okay, so now we got a clue what the Ethernet Alliance is all about. We've got to hear about the voices of Ethernet, which uh, sounds like a very cool thing to go chase up on YouTube. Now let's move on to the big reason I wanted to talk to you, because I ran into single-pair Ethernet. So give us the overview, Peter. What is single-pair Ethernet? Well, that would be uh, Ethernet that runs on a single pair, Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> it's just as straightforward as that. So if um, if I'm used to running, you know, thinking in terms of uh, half-duplex and full-duplex and, and so on, give me some characteristics here of single-pair Ethernet. So let, let me maybe take a step backwards. Um, so you, know, you and I have been in the Ethernet business for a long time, right? And so I don't know if you go back far enough to have done uh, thick net, but I certainly go back to thin net. And, thin net, you know, the world, thick net. The world yeah. has changed a, long, a lot since then, um, you know, more recently. So, you know, we had a lot of conversations around the time that we were looking at 2.5 and 5G based T because that was the, mm -hmm. we've got all this infrastructure, how do we go faster? And we could have ripped all out and replaced it by Cat six A, and that would have taken how long? Too too long, and and a lot of money, and all that yeah. forever. Yeah. Um, and so, as actually, let me step back even one further. Right. What do you think made Ethernet succeed? In the days when it was a slugfest between ATM, uh, FIDI, no, 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 uh, before that, token before, ring. before that. Yeah, to to token mm, ring that. versus token rust. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. What do you think made Ethernet succeed? I'm trying to remember because I was kind of there when it was happening, only I was on the tail end of it. It was mostly a lot of Ethernet coming in. Price reports were coming down. There was a lot of agreement on speeds and feeds and so on. Uh, token ring was, was at my juncture when I was coming in a leftover to run some specific bit of infrastructure. And we usually had some kind of a bridge to get from the okay. Ethernet to the token ring. So, 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 let, so let me lead the witness a little bit. Okay. Right. So you, you've seen things about what ThickNet looked like, right? Mm -hmm, and so, mm -hmm. you know, David Bumble? So David yes, actually yep. put together a video where he put together a real net running network with both ThickNet and ThinNet. Mm -hmm. All right. So ThickNet was sort of difficult to deal with. Because it was literally a very thick and difficult to manage cable, and to sure. get into it, you'd you'd hang vampire, you'd use a vampire tap, you'd screw into the core to extend the Ethernet to. And and, uh, and because uh, you an were lucky, there were actually there were markers on the cable which told you where you could put the tap in. Yeah. And then cheapernet came along, and it was a bit easier to deal with. But I used to have cheapernet at my desk at one stage, and it was awesome because I could just add in a couple of you know a couple of new devices on my desk. Right, and He's I was really happy. and uh, stick a T connector in there. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And the guy on the other side of the building was not so happy because now the network was too large. Yeah, adds length, adds uh, more channels, more workstations on the uh, on the medium to contend for bandwidth. So yeah. I'm going to make the argument that the reason Ethernet succeeded was it went to adopt the twisted pair that was in the walls for the voice services, and that was the same time that uh, all the telcos were getting deregulated. Which would have been so, Cat three over a variety yeah. of different termination types. Yeah. Uh, you know, one ten block being pretty common in closets, and you could run ten meg Ethernet over that just fine. You could run hundred meg Ethernet over that uh, just fine. And so all yeah. of a sudden, right, you had this massive infrastructure that you could actually run this new cool technology on. So I'm going to make the argument that that's a key reason why Ethernet succeeded. I don't think I'll fight you on that. I think I like that because that is in fact at several places I was either supporting as a consultant or working with at full time as a full-time employee, what, what was happening? 
we were looking at where the wiring infrastructure was, where could we put a switch or a hub, you know, as the case may have been back then, and uh, and connect it back to the core. What were the the runs and and having the cabling infrastructure in place made it easy. We just kind of went, went, that it went all places you needed it to go. Yeah. And all right, so so fast forward a little. So I'm going to make the argument that around about that time we went through this massive shift from all the old physical layers, and we really converged on Ethernet. And you know, you and I both lived through that. Here's the thing. The OT world, right, all the stuff which is, you know, if I split IT to OT, IT really serves mostly people, OT serves things. Now, we want to do Internet of Things, but if I went and looked at, at a building today and you looked up at the ceiling, you'd see an access point or two, but you'd see a bunch of other stuff. So think about, you know, if, if you're in an office building, you've got a network for the access control, you've got another one for HVAC, you've got another one for lighting, you've got all this other stuff. So all that stuff is mostly running old old, old protocols, right, in, dating anywhere from, you know, the 60s to before. And that's all, almost all running on single Ethernet pairs, or it's either running single Ethernet pairs, or but often what you see is you see a data pair and a power pair. Well, do you, do you mean single Ethernet pairs? You just mean twisted well, pair cable. Sorry, yeah, single twisted yeah, pair yeah. cable. Um, depending on where you are, a lot of it is 18.2, so it'll be eight, 18 gauge. Yeah. There's a bunch of it which will be 24, you know, 22 or 24, depending on your use case. I mean, the, the big use case probably to talk about right now is BACnet. So BACnet is the dominant protocol for doing building management. So when you're saying running that over 18 or 24 gauge, it's quite thin, um, you know, very fine gauge uh, wires that are twisted, probably yeah. not, you know, certainly not to like a Cat5 or, or definitely yeah. not a Cat6 yes. gauge where they'd be highly twisted. They're twisted, but not a lot. Yes. Not, not that many twists per foot. It's not great cable is what we're saying, Peter. It's not great cable, but it's there. Yeah. And but so there. <laughs> there's a couple of things to think. Firstly, it's there. Um, now, depending on how well it was put in, we may or may not be able to use it. But as another friend of mine said, the last best use for a current cable is to drag another one through the same route. <laughs> yep. But the other thing is, is that is if we can adopt the types of topologies that people are used to building today, you know, we've got a huge step forward. You know, so one of the worst things is uh, if you're a guy who runs OT networks, I show up and say, I'm IT and um, I'm here to help. They're going to run, run 100 miles. <laughs> so you're going to make the so single pair Ethernet. So I first actually heard about this, right, wandering around back in 2014, and then it sort of went underground for a bit further. But it started really from the industrial control guys, and they said, we've got all this interesting stuff on the edge of the network, right, be it device and IP, be it Profibus, be it um, 4 to 20 milliamp, there's all this other craft. And they said, we really want to move forward because we want to get to the stage where we can actually adopt modern protocols. I mean, most of the people who are out there, you know, dealing with those networks today, the process control networks, they sort of look like me, right? Lots of gray hair. Mm. And when you want to find, you know, when you get an alarm, you'll send some guy out and he's going to, you know, find the machine, he's going to hit it with a hammer and tell you what's wrong. <laughs> All right. So if I pick up someone from college today, he wants to go out and he wants to log in with his tablet, right? And you go, okay, so there's a pretty long path between where we are today and where we want to be. And we can ask these people to go and say, look, Ethernet is the future. Why don't you just recable your entire facility based on Ethernet rules? And that might be the right answer, but it's a very long adoption cycle. Hmm. So if you instead say, look, what is the type of infrastructure that's out there? And you come up with an Ethernet that's fitted to that infrastructure, you have a much yep. better chance of adoption. 
Yeah, what kind of Ethernet would successfully run over this legacy cabling infrastructure as yeah. opposed to the other way around? You've got to rip it all I mean, out and do it our way. Yeah. And it's partly legacy and it's also partly, I mean, some of the legacy is going to be really bad, but there is legacy and there's also the same style and the same way you build it. I mean, for instance, going from, you know, categories, category 5E to category 6 was pretty easy because it was just a new cable in the same building design. Hmm. Um, if, for instance, that change had actually made the, the reach be only 75 meters, everyone would have had to rethink it. But since it didn't, and we stuck with 100 meters, no problem. The design pattern matters a lot. Yeah. Okay. So we basically started and we did two versions, and this is added to 3CG, which is, I think, we finished in 2019. So we defined two things. We defined 10 base T1L, which is a 10 megabit link over up to 1,000 meters of cable uh, with up to 10 terminations in the middle because no one actually has a 1,000 meter piece of cable. And so the spec needed to be able to tolerate uh, a splice or some kind of a coupler. Yep, Yeah. because that's how they build it. Yep. I mean, if you imagine a 1,000 meter piece of cable dragging that through anything, it's not going to work very well. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I've run my shared cables. That's hard to imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and this was really yeah. driven by the process control guys who were sort of, you know, they were, they were on the cutting edge of this. And so there are a whole bunch of requirements. And it's not only the reach and the type of cable, it's also the noise environment, right? Because you know the yeah. problems that we've had running 6A, right? You know, don't run it close to your fluorescent lights. Don't run oh, that, it close to your HVAC engine. Oh, that was a problem back, back in the day where it was just Cat5. Yeah, you had to be careful yeah. of that stuff too. Yeah. So the, the noise environment is very different. And the other thing we actually had to do is we had to make allowance to run this stuff intrinsically safe. You know what intrinsically safe means? I do not. Will not produce sparks so things won't blow up. So imagine for a second mm. some equipment inside a flour warehouse. Right, flour is really a nice, it's a fuel air explosive. Flour, flour particles in the air, you're yeah. saying, making for a combustive yeah. environment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, let alone oil and gas and all this other stuff. Yeah, reminds me of my science teacher back in high school demonstrating a grain elevator explosion in front yeah. of the class. Yeah, he'd, he'd paint can, uh, a candle inside, you take a Shoes syringe, blow yeast yeah. or something in there, and it, boom, blows the lid off the place. Yeah, gotcha. And so we had to make allowance for it to run intrinsically safe, which is, you know, it's a requirement for some of these process control environments. So, okay, you mentioned um, 802.3CG, and one yep. of the specs that came out of that was this 10-base T1L, L yes. for long. Long. Um, you can we're go we're really to, original in standard scripts. <laughs> you can go up to 1,000 meters, including a bunch of couplers in line there to, yes. to get your 1,000-meter length. And by a bunch, I do mean a bunch. It'll tolerate like a 10? 10. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it can't... It can't carry it can't introduce sparks into the environment you, you can you can make it intrinsically safe where you couldn't with like 100 base t again this is getting a little over my skis but i think you could store enough energy in, in the in the various cores and circuitry to cause a spark okay. so there's a bunch of things we had to accommodate to make sure intrinsically safe was possible to build well that's interesting because i know there is also the ability to carry power across this infrastructure yep. as well so that's that's interesting okay but before we get there 10 base t1l and then there is also 10 base t1s for short peter sure and 10 base t1s was built was built for the automotive guys so there's been a big push in the last decade to basically define varieties of ethernet suitable for putting in a car if you look at what the current design of a car is, it looks suspiciously like a, um, a small enterprise plus DC combined. Mm -hmm. And so they're trying to 
and don't quote me on this, but something like it used to be the case that the uh, wiring harness was like 30% of the weight of a car. Or may maybe it was the third heaviest thing. Anyway, so, so if you've looked at the wiring harnesses in your car, you know they're a bit of a nightmare. And so they're actually sort of in the same boat of a bunch of proprietary, or not proprietary, specific protocols, but you needed a lot of them and they were hard to extend. Hmm. So the, the first way this showed up was in 1,000 base T1 and 100 base T1, you know, um, 100 megabit and a gigabit for cars. 10 base T1S, and it has both a point-to-point -point and multi-drop, was really designed for the low end of the cars, right, for links that didn't need 100 megabit. Now, the car guys have also gone upwards. They're currently working on, um, they've already defined 2.5, 5, and 10. They're currently working on 25. Hmm. If you ask me why they need 25 gig for a car, I'll remind you how um, machine vision works, right? You have a sensor in your back hole, yep. a lot of data to a processor. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I mean, my, my car has uh, two cameras up in the yep. up in the top of the windshield that is constantly scanning the road and can do a lot of things. But yeah, stereoscopic vision is, uh, I'm sure, a goodly amount of data for the computer to process on board in real time. So yeah. the automotive guys, they want to go for an all Ethernet car. Right, because they want to do the same thing. They want to basically, you know, leverage the lessons of the IT industry and go to a single network infrastructure. Hmm. Okay, so ten base okay. C1S was a part of that, low okay. end point to point, and we also did multi drop. And and S is used can be used in building applications though too, as I remember reading. It's not, sure. I mean, car, cars may be the big thing, but um, but in, so, in a building, I seem to remember seeing it there as well. It's, um, I mean, you can use anything anywhere, right? The 15 right. meter reach for 10 base DNS point to point is confined. It's really, it's a, it's almost an intra machine thing, right? It's an intra, intra system. A niche use case then, yeah. yeah. The thing that we also did there was we did a, a multi drop version, which was up to eight nodes on 25 meters. Mm -hmm. And that again was really targeted around the requirements of the car, car guys. We have a follow up standard happening at the minute, um, out to a 3DA. Well, you say multi-drop, just before you explain that, by multi-drop, you're saying here, it sounds like a bus that has endpoints hanging off it, like ThickNet with vampire taps back in the day. Uh, from, a, from a networking point of view, yes. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Because okay. there's actually a whole lot of reasons why the, that topology makes a lot of sense. If you think about what I want to do is run, run a cable into a door and have five sensors in there, I really don't want to run five cables. Right, yeah. So, so not, well, but why don't, why don't I just, work there, yeah. Yeah, so why don't I just run a... Uh, you know, a set of point, uh, point to points and two port bridges. And the answer is, well, you can do that. It's sort of expensive. And if you want to send power, it really sucks. Mm. So we've, we've gone and built through multi-drop. And yes, it, it does use CSM ACD. <laughs> but okay. we did do a tweak on it. So remember how CSM ACD had problems when you got busy? So once, once the network got really busy, everyone, everyone would collide and basically your throughput would go to hell. So we did put a tweak in there so you could actually, it would have the performance characteristics of Token Ring, i.e. Um, it, would, it would run 100% and it would make sure everyone got a chance. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Look, Solving you got, you all got, the old you problems got a, over again. Sure, but I can't go and tell these people, look, leak to an entirely different universe. I've got, to, I've got to give them a way to get there. We have to build a bridge between where they are today and where, where they want to be. So the use cases I'm hearing for this single pair Ethernet is are twofold. One is automotive. You, we've got a specific use case in in the world of automotive. Yep. Okay, 
And then a second is, sounds like in building to try to bring the folks that are running industrial internet of things style networks into a more modern era. Uh, because the people that would maintain the old infrastructure, those folks are aging out. There's no one coming up that knows how to run this old stuff. Let's move the ball ahead and get at these people on ethernet and do it without having to recable the entire building. Let's use the old infrastructure. And so by, by effectively dumbing ethernet down or, more accurately Adapt, writing a standard ethernet for adapting ethernet for the target environment yes there we go there's the there's the professional way to put it then now we're using ethernet in this in this new way that allows us to to do that move the ball ahead with a minimum amount of resistance on the people that would need to adopt it um, um okay basically so, yes but you you did there's in building right there's building automation and so tend to use the term ot in general right? operational technology Right, there's the IT network, there's the OT network, right? If you're looking at how the HVAC runs, that's the OT guys. If you're looking at how the production system runs in a factory, that's the OT guys. So if you think about a factory today, a factory is going to have a standard enterprise network. It's going to usually have a small on-site DC as well. It's then going to have an industrial Ethernet edge, and then outside it's got all this other craft, right? Bit 420 milliamp devices and IP, it's all old serial stuff, you know, RS-485, 422. All the oddball systems that are, have got some years on them, but are still part of an automation well, scheme, probably or remotely old controlled. Ball, oddball when there's so many millions of them out there. <laughs> <laughs> oddball to us IT guys, you know what I'm saying, Peter? Correct, correct. And so the goal is how do we move these people forward? Because if you follow what they're trying to do in like Industry 4.0 and 5.0, um, and there's actually backup information I'll find you for what what those things actually mean. They're talking about you know, the fourth and fifth industrial revolutions. Or just simply, right, if you look at expensive machines today like jet engines, right, I believe Rolls-Royce don't sell them, they lease them. And part of the reason why is they want the data stream. If you want to instrument things and get information, all this mm. old stuff is a huge barrier to getting information from a smart device, right, back to a control or back to the cloud. Uh, be, because I can think of two potential reasons there. One is just whatever protocols they were running is a, is a thing. And then two um, is the amount of bandwidth that might've been running on the legacy infrastructure to pull the amount of data you want could be maybe impossible. If and you know, three, I've got to go build it. a gateway for all this stuff. Yeah, right. And and if you think about it, people coming out of college are more used to running, um, they're going to go look at a, a Yang model, right? They don't really want to go and read this the schema for BACnet. And then have to map that into some structured data that they want to work with. Yeah. Oh, actually go and write the code to actually deal with it on BACnet. <laughs> right. If um, So if you think, so think of the transition you've seen, right, since like 1990 to now about the tools we use. The OT guys, which is, you know, all the production part of the world, right, they need to make that change as well. Ethernet, um, using this Single-pair Ethernet, as standard, uh, does allow us to keep the network framing the same end-to-end, -end. but... I, I would, I would call, well, so network framing is the same, right? But then you start to say, I can put an intelligent device out there. I mean, it's pretty cheap to put in a microcontroller that can run a full, a full Linux stack. And I can talk to that guy with modern protocols. Okay, and that, that you just you just bridge the gap I wanted to bridge there because right the, the the modeling of data and structured data that's riding on top of the Ethernet is different from the Ethernet itself. But what we're saying is oh. if I can push Ethernet to the corners of the building all the way out to the edge, now I can, that enables me to install some tools that makes it easier for me yeah. to work with legacy, if you will, uh, sensors and such. 
Well, not so much, um, not really the legacy sensors, but it makes it easier to actually get value out of a smart sensor you might already build. Mm. Okay. okay. Because now I can adopt all the new current modeling techniques. So let me give you an example. Um, and I'll send you some links to this. So Honeywell at Cisco Live, um, they actually showed off a new back, a new building management controller, whereas previously this would have been a backnet. They would basically put these things on a backnet ring when everyone has a bunch of sensors hanging off it. They now built one that runs on a 10-base T1L. So now they've actually rejiggered their control plane. And so instead of this old stuff, they've now it's all um, MQTT based. They can actually run the control part of the control plane can run as their guest in a switch. So they've taken a leap from sort of the 1970s, maybe 1990s to, to the 2020s. So that gives them a huge advantage in being able to go and write new things, enable new functions. Hmm. And I think I'd say that the the general goal they would like to be able to offer significant upgrades on the building and management infrastructure at the same speed we do it for the IT infrastructure. So considering some of the applications here, and, we and are... One more, and one, and oh, one oh, more. sure, Peter. So I'm not sure if you follow, but there's a lot of fairly tight regulations out of the European Union about building efficiency. So how are you going to make all your buildings significantly more efficient without being able to upgrade the intelligence in it? Because mm. you need to be able to take in in, in, in real yeah. time. Uh, sure. All kinds of different one question becomes, well, what I could clearly do is I could just run everything on Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, and you certainly could. But you and I both know that Wi-Fi and Bluetooth have some issues and running your building management control plan on them might not be what you want to do. Yeah, but particularly, well, a lot depends on the, on the building itself too, just how complex yeah. that would be to get adequate coverage and throughput. Yeah, absolutely. And the other yeah. thing is, is you go then and you, you can start offering the, the Ethernet value proposition we've given you of data and power on one link. Because if you're going to run something wireless, then it's either locally powered or you have to, or maybe batteries. Now, I have seen some sensors which are basically energy scavenging, but that's a pretty lightweight sensor. Yeah, being able to push power over the wire, over that yeah. twisted pair to the device would be a big win. Yep. Yeah, uh, okay. Sense? Say again? Am I making sense? You are making sense. Before we get into power, I have, I have one question I want to ask you about bandwidth, though, because with the applications and the use cases that you're describing, 10 megabits per second does not sound like a lot. But I guess if you look at what 10 megabits per second is replacing, it is kind of a lot of bandwidth, isn't it? Because, I mean, at the minute, they're looking at tens to hundreds of kilobits. Now, they are running serials, so they are doing more efficient encoding mostly, but it's not a lot of bandwidth. So, yes, 10 megabits is a lot of bandwidth for this application. Mm. Will we eventually need more? Sure. We'll always need more. Always. But, but if we can give these people, give this part of the industry the ability to move to current technologies, which means they can adopt all the current networking protocols, current security, yada, 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 without changing the way they structure buildings, that's a huge win. We interrupt this podcast for a brief word from Packet Pusher sponsor, Interoptic. Interoptic has been the trusted optical transceiver supplier for many federal, state, and local government networks and Fortune 500 companies. They provide friendly, U.S.-based, OEM-agnostic networking expertise to help you choose the best optics and fiber to future-proof your networks at the lowest cost. Why continue to pay OEM prices for optics? Talk to the experts who will deliver brand-equivalent transceivers at a fraction of the cost. Interoptic can help you and your team create a more nimble physical layer. Their optical transceivers are guaranteed 100% compatible with Cisco, Juniper, Extreme, Arista, and other switches. Interoptic physically tests every single transceiver before it's shipped, and their transceivers are built to the exact same quality standards as the OEMs and typically come from the same manufacturing lines. 
That means you can purchase the same, if not better performing, optical transceivers tested and designed by engineers who truly understand the specifications critical to your network at a fraction of OEM cost. It's time to take control of your optics purchases with InterOptic. Find out how at interoptic.com slash packet dash pushers. That's interoptic.com slash packet dash pushers. And now back to the conversation. So let's go back to the power discussion then, Peter. So power over single pair. Um, pa- oh, hang on, I'm confusing myself with my own notes and <laughs> the different acronyms that we got going because the the POE standard here was a little bit different from the ones that I've seen before. But the, but the, going back to the use case, we want to be able to deliver power because that means I can hang my device out on the end of this cable wherever without having to worry about electrical infrastructure as well being required to power the device. So that's a big deal. I want to be able to send power uh, over that Ethernet link. That that matters. Um, now, what's... You, what you is, also want to be able to offer what we describe as the, like the PoE value set, which is negotiation, you know, checking to make sure that power is not sent, et cetera. So there's a whole bunch of things about PoE which are interesting above and beyond the fact that it sends power. The fact that it's managed matters a lot. And so those of us that are used to looking at a PoE switch and we can tell that uh, this device requested uh, power and this sort of power was delivered yep. to it and it's this class of device and all that stuff. We're getting that level of insight into what- you don't put power onto the line until you know there's someone out there to accept it. Yes, okay. Now, does this factor into the, uh, the issue of um, inherently safe at all? Does that complicate that requirement? Um, so the guys who are doing- the intrinsically safe, they tend, they're actually using a different power scheme. And I think that's probably part of the reason, but we didn't want to, I mean, intrinsically safe is a really interesting application, but it's a pretty small part of the picture. Hmm. Okay. But it, it, it's naturally came to my mind, you know, of course, of course. but. Uh, yeah. Well, there's, there's this thing about thinking about having your network devices cause explosions, which <laughs> is terrifying and interesting at the same time. <laughs> It's it, 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 spoken it's, like a true engineer. <laughs> it's, it's like watching watching the you know the train crash. It's like <laughs> uh, okay, so this standard is a SPOE, and SPOE is for you were mentioning OT networks before. So, so let me let me give you some background. So you know engineers are really bad at naming things, right? Because PoE is a good name. The original actual name in the standard is actually power over the over the MDI, and so. When they were doing um, the first standard for power for the single pair Ethernet, which they did with the 100 base T1, 1000 base T1, they called it power over data link, which of course translates to poodle and gives you a whole yeah. lot of a whole lot of funny jokes about standard poodles. You know, there is a standard poodle, right? Oh, well, it's, it's an it's official type breed, of dog. right? Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so. What we in Ethernet Lights are trying to promote people to call this is single pair PoE because that's a much better brand. And everyone goes, oh, now I know what that is. Yeah, it's power of Ethernet just over one pair instead of whatever was yeah, delivered over it. the other ones. Yeah, okay. And so, but that's so, that, but so, so power over uh, data link is not a different standard. It's just the, uh, the, the first attempt at a name for this? It, well, it's the first attempt of a name and it's a, it's a slightly different application. Yeah. So, with the original way that it was defined, right? It's, um, Poodle is a little more targeted at engineered networks, and single pair PoE we're really targeting more at you know the more plug and play network. So an engineered network like what you'd find in a car, maybe. What you'd find in a car, maybe. Yeah. Okay. 
But from my point of view, I'm going to call this thing single payer power over Ethernet because that way people know what I'm talking about. I'm going to hook on the PeeWee brand, right? Which is so, which is good because people go, oh yeah, I know what that is. If I tell you the power of the data link, you say, what what the hell is that? And so it can engineers deliver, are not um, good at branding. <laughs> so single payer power over Ethernet can deliver safely, and it can deliver. Quite a bit of voltage too. Um, there, I read uh, twenty-four I mean, I volt quite devices a bit, quite a bit of power. and and fifty-five uh, volt yeah. uh, devices. You know, quite quite far yeah. up to up to a thousand meters, so a kilometer now, if, away. If, if you if you're doing a kilometer away, you don't get a lot of power out the other end. I think it's in the order of eight watts, but eight watts is actually enough to run a switch. Mm. Yeah, something that's power efficient. So it's uh, th so that that's a that's a big deal, and that is so is single pair power for Ethernet part of these other standards that we were referring to, 802.3CG? Is it in there? Or is that just like a separate thing off to the side? So when we did the standard 802.3CG, we defined three new clauses in 802.3. 802.3's got a lot of clauses. And we modified, we did some modifications to the existing clause that defined um, power of a data link. So they work okay. together. And so we do lots of things. So for instance, when you define the new clauses, you then go and modify like the management registers objects. So in general, when you do an amendment to 802.3, because it's one humongous document, right, you have to change some other bits as well. So in CG, we find three new clauses, you know, one which was an introduction to 10 megabit single pair, another one which is 10 base T1L, another one which is actually 10 base T1S. And we did some modifications to say how this would work with the definition of Poodle as it was. Okay. Now that that standard has been described, it's got full management capabilities. It's quite useful. We can put a goodly bit of power across that single pair. How far are we from devices that can actually support this and get power this way? Or is it going to be more of like an adapter bridge sort of a thing? So um, the unfortunate reality is the OT world is fairly slow to move. Um, and so even though we've had standards out for a while, adoption is in, a, in its infancy, to be fair. Mm -hmm. um, the places where you see this actually in real product first was actually in the process control industry. So I'll give you a link to, there's a group called Ethernet APL. They've been basically defining, this is the, it's the lead companies in process control. They've been defining how to use 10 meg single pair in their environment. So you'll find some of those guys have 10 meg single pair products on the market today. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's Pepperell and Fuchs or Anderson Hauser, I can't quite remember. Um, as part of the rest, I've been out there, you know, I've been talking about this for a long time. I'll actually send you a link of me giving a talk on this in um, early 2020. Actually, I don't remember if it was early 2020, early 2019. So things have been sort of percolating. Uh, the problem tends to be it's a bit of a chicken and egg problem. It's like who's going who's to commit first, right? Because if you're doing the I don't really want to commit, it's like, well, I don't want to build a switch because there's no end devices. I don't want to build an end device because there's no switches. And that's a bit of a problem. However, um, as I mentioned, Honeywell have actually the, are the ones I know who have actually gone furthest and they've actually shown off their new building management controller, which uses 10 base T1L. And it uses what? a ring and it uses a, uses a residency protocol called MRP, which is a um, hmm. IEC standard. Yeah, that rings a bell. Like uh, maybe at Metro Ethernet guys use it? Something no, like a different one. Yeah, okay. Anyway, the... I would think it wouldn't be a huge investment on the part of manufacturers to come up with uh, gear that meets this spec. Am I am I wrong on that? Is it a big investment? Um, well, building any chip is a big investment. 
Yeah, but it's it's Ethernet. It doesn't require. It's not hugely fast. Um, yeah, there's some. I so mean, there, there, there are some interesting. There are some sort of interesting contrasts between. You know, a lot of the stuff we're dealing with all the voltages means you want to be in a, in a bigger bigger process, right? Um, bigger chip process, maybe 65 or bigger. And of course, for optimization, we all want to be in a really small process. So it's not trivial. The initial problem tends to be where is the market? Small so processes is in the, 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 the uh, like nanometer process the chip yeah. would be used for. Yeah. Um, okay, so so we don't want to go with the old school ones that we, we in theory, definitely could use. Because we want this thing to be power efficient. We don't want to be throwing a lot yeah. of heat. So but, we but, really want to make new chips from but it's scratch. All, it's also a little tricky because some of the voltage requirements right, are, not, are not very friendly to the, to the smaller process. Mm. But the real thing is if I go and talk to a chip manufacturer and say, look, you should go build one of these. It's very cool. It's the last thing. And he says, how many million will I sell next year? It's like we just, you'll sell no millions. And how many million, how many hundreds of thousands will sell next year? And you sell no hundreds of thousands. You're, you're making the market. You're not serving a market. I'm, I'm yet. trying to. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to. I'm trying to persuade the market this is a good idea, and it's a bit like herding cats. Mm. And by the way, I assume you've seen the herding cat video from EDS. <laughs> not recently, but it, yes. You remember it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah. So, what you're finding is you're finding. Um, adoptions showing up in a few specific places. Um, I told you about the process control. Um, I actually ran into a guy who's making Roblox. He's actually making very small networking things to go inside machines. Um, but the big one, as I said, is, is my Honeywell friends are actually showing this thing off. And mm -hmm. so in terms of sync, there's a FIs for the 10 base C1L. There's really two on the market, one from TI, one from ADI. And ADI also have a thing where they basically have a two-port FI with a cut through switch in it. So that's the one they're using mm -hmm. to build a ring. Okay. Um, yeah, so there's some other things on the market. Um, my Honeywell colleagues, they went to build themselves a 10 base T to 10 base C1L adapter. Mm -hmm. So they can basically put it into a switch that way. You can't see this, those that are listening, but Peter's yeah. actually showing me one of these adapters on the, uh, the Zoom call we're on right now. Yep. I'll probably send you a picture to it. <laughs> now you will notice at the minute, we're saying actually is using terminal blocks. So yep. there's an oh, entirely yep. different yep. discussion about which connector we'll end up with. And right now that it's not settled. Hmm. Now, Peter, um, I know uh, Cisco, just, I know they've gotten into the industrial uh, switching market. They certainly make products that are exactly for that. Are they or anyone else in that space who we think of as traditional enterprise networking interested in this maybe? Okay, trying to take off my, my, my Ethernet Alliance hat for a second. And, um. The answer is yes, but everyone tends, tends, tends to want someone else to go first. Mm. Um, so most major, okay, so the industrial Ethernet switching market, so let me back up a little bit. So in general, building automation, industrial automation, run the same switches. So you'll see the same types of devices, and partly that's because they go in, in building automation, they go in occupied space, right? So they go, they're going in where there's, usually, where there's often DC power, they're going in where it's unair conditioned. So they end up with the same types of devices. They're pretty used to DIN rail stuff. And the market for industrial is growing pretty happily. Um, and so, but it doesn't, it's not the same type of vendors, right? The, the leading vendor is Cisco, but then after then you tend to go to things like Siemens and Moxer and yep. Phoenix Contact and those people. So they're different places. Um, so the traditional IT vendors, aside from Cisco, I don't think anyone will have a big exposure to this type of market. Hmm. 
Now, I, th I would say they all should get that, right? Because the way I think about this is this is the last set of nerves on the edge of a network. And so I'd say the goal is to build a single converged network for the facility. In order to really build momentum then within the vendors to start making uh, equipment, someone's got to walk up with a very convincing story about TAM, total addressable market, and make some big numbers because it's going to be an investment up front, both to make chips and then to spin up manufacturing for these devices because yep. they aren't as straightforward as you were saying, some of the other industrial switches out there, which were kind of the same guts you'd seen in other switches, but with you know different power supply, different, uh, different chassis power supplies, pooling, different environmentals, et cetera. Yeah, uh, but, but not much different under the hood necessarily you know no yep. no new chips required not don't have to make a you new ASIC necessarily all right so so the so as i said we have some people in the, in the process control who are doing this but as i think i've mentioned a couple of times right my my favorite my, my favorite at the minute is um the honeywell guys mm -hmm. because they've actually gone and shown something off and i will send you a link to some photos and also to a presentation they gave at cisco live which outlines what they're doing so I guess the answer then, if for people that are interested in this, you got to go ask your vendor and say, hey, I want this. You know, I've got building controls. I, I yep. deal with all these different buildings, whatever. And I want to go this direction. Yes, make I want to go this direction. Um, yeah. And the, I mean, there's, there's two real questions. There's two questions you ask people. It's like, do you have a value proposition for moving from your old protocols to Ethernet? Yes, no. And then if the answer is yes, you say, what if I can get you that access much easier without recabling? Because mm. single pair Ethernet is it's a cool technology, but it's it's just a part of a solution. Mm -hmm. So people have to think through the moving from my old protocols to Ethernet gives me what? And then say, well, what are what are the barriers to that? Single pair Ethernet resolves one of the barriers. But unless you want to go to Ethernet, then SPU is just right, it's a cool technology, it's not that useful. Yeah. So for people that have been listening to us chat, Peter, and they want to find out more, they want to dig into more of the tech specs, figure out how this fits into their world, what resources do you recommend? So firstly, I'll drop into the Ethernet Alliance. We have a tech page on single pair Ethernet. That's the place I would start. That's where I started researching for this show. Yep. EthernetAlliance.org um, is where you can start, and it wasn't too hard to find information from there. Yeah. I, think, I mean, the follow-up question I really want to get back from your listeners is, you know, Okay, taking this on, right, what do they see? Because ultimately there's the ask the vendors, there's also the get agreement across the industry about how this matters. And I think to a large extent, there's individual people asking their vendors, then there's then also groups of people saying, hey, if we got together, we could do this. So imagine for a second, if you've got your univer you know, your 10, your 10 university friends to go, oh, we could go, go and do this. Because I tend to think of it as communities of interest. So, I mean, if I went Cisco Live and someone comes up and they said, look, I need this thing. So my first question is, is it just you or is it all your friends? Mm. And if it's just you, I'm usually empathizing. If it's all your friends, I'm really interested. Mm. So I would encourage people not just to go and you know, talk to their vendors, but go talk to their friends, right? If I had this, what could I do? What would it look like? I mean, my, my nirvana is I want to build a single network for a facility. So on top of that network, you'd run the IT network, you'd run the HVAC, you'd run the access control, you'd run everything else. That now, getting there is going to take a while because, you know, yeah. we have, I mean, this is like when you move from normal telephones to voice over IP. Now, you say, Peter, for people to, uh, and what you're interested in getting feedback from people about all of this, how, how would you recommend they contact you or the Ethernet Alliance? Or is there a forum or something that people should be? Uh... So that's actually, this is really interesting. I didn't know I was going to mention this. So 
I think it's, uh, I mean, directly contacting me is not that helpful. What I actually want to see is conversations between people. So maybe this becomes mm. Twitter. I mean, how do you have your users talk to each other? You run Slack channels or? Variety of methods, but Slack channel is the big one. Yeah, we've got a uh, free Slack channel at packetpushers.net slash Slack that anybody can join. And we don't have so many I mean, rules other than, you know. Start. Yeah. I mean, there's sure. get some information from us, but then there's what could I do with this? And the what, what could I do with this, I think is the really interesting part. Well, and I think the uh, the Ethernet Alliance would want to be in the position to kind of aggregate some of that data so you can, in that sure. p- position where you are between standards bodies and vendors and you know users, kind of share all of that with everyone and say, look, this is, you know, this mean, is the, the feedback the, we're getting from the communities yeah, that would leverage this. We- benefit we get is we can speak for the industry, right? Which is a position different from speaking for a different company. So, I mean, if we could get some feedback from your, from like your listeners to say, Hey, we heard about this. Here's some questions, right? I don't know how we aggregate that, but having that, having as a conversation between the people who are listening rather than a one-on-one between them and me would be probably more useful. Um, does that seem like something we could figure out a way to set up? I mean, maybe you do a subtopic in, in your Slack channel for a single Yeah, person. absolutely. Absolutely. If you're in the Packet Pusher Slack channel, again, it's- I uh, can be. It's it's free. There's uh, nothing there. All we ask is that people don't don't use it for marketing or spammy purposes. Uh, you want to talk tech about single-pair Ethernet, um, yeah, hop right on in there. We've got the general channels open for literally any topic you want, including this one. And if there's enough interest, yeah, we'll just start a sub-channel and uh, dedicate it to, uh, to single-pair Ethernet or- Oh, building networks or something. We'll come up with some moniker in there if there's enough interest for people to have that conversation. And I mean, do, I you can just that's, uh, the most, that's the most effective way to do it because I want to want to hear from people bouncing ideas off each other. And you can certainly DM me in that Slack group. My yeah. DMs are open. Happy to chat with you um, about that directly, and uh, maybe get a channel going if that's what we want to do. Now, Peter, if people do want to ping you directly about something, you're uh, I know you're active on uh, on Twitter and so on, right? Yeah. Yeah, Twitter, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um, you can find you can find me in those places. That's probably the easiest way. All right, Peter. Anything else that you wanted to mention as we close today? I don't think so. Um, All right. I think it's uh, you know again. I'd say uh, thank, thanks for letting me back in because uh, I always <laughs> enjoyed the conversation. And I think with the Cisco Live thing, sans the fact that a bunch of people got COVID, unfortunately, the going back and actually being able to see people in person was a really big thing. I think both of us came back with, with from that event with COVID. Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunately true. But right. it was lovely. It was lovely to see the people. <laughs> All right, if you're on Twitter and want to follow Peter, he's at Peter G Jones. And thank you for listening to Heavy Networking today. I have been your host, Ethan Banks. You can find me on Twitter at EC Banks, where I tweet about networking and cloud. And sometimes I'll post ethereal pictures from the summits of mountains that I've been hiking. If you like nerdy shows like this one, the Packet Pushers Podcast Network offers several others you can check out. IPv6 Buzz, Kubernetes Unpacked, Day 2 Cloud, Network Break, Heavy Strategy, and Full Stack Journey, all available for free from the subscribe page at packetpushers.net or just search for Packet Pushers in your your podcast player. All of those shows will come up. You can follow the show on Twitter at Packet Pushers and LinkedIn, where we will let you know about everything that we're publishing because we are more than just a podcast. There's lots of written content as well as a YouTube channel, and we create it all for your professional career development. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>